Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, one Minnesota mom's take on the vaping debate, the common man Dan Cole discusses his career in radio to coincide with the recent release of his new book and the Vikings get ready for their new digs in Egan. But first, continuing problems with the state's vehicle registration and driver's license system, Minlars, continued commanding the attention of state lawmakers during this first full week of the 2018 legislative session. MNN's Bill Werner is here, and there were some tense moments, weren't there, Bill? That is for certain, Scott. Here is a clip from a hearing this week. Dana Bailey from the state's IT department is speaking first, followed by Republican Representative Paul Torkelson from Hanska, who chairs the House Transportation Finance Committee. Ability and authority to use this $10 million is an urgent request. It is a lot to ask of the legislature, um, and, and it is where we are today. Thank you for that. Just two comments, then we're going to move on to questions. One, you have stated that we have invested $100 million to get a half-built system. Unbelievable. Second, it's apparent to me that the department signed a contract with FAST and did not have the resources available to pay the bill. This is unconscionable. Uh, May I respond to that, Mr. Chair? No, thank you. In all fairness, Chair Torkelson did say later in the hearing that he should have given Bailey the opportunity to respond and did give her that chance. But the situation is that Republicans are chafing, to say the least, at the Dayton administration's request for additional funds to continue work on the Minlar system, given the state has already spent the better part of $100 million on it. Torkelson and colleague Dave Baker from Wilmer held a news conference with their response. We are deeply troubled by this request. Throughout last session, we, repeatedly, we were repeatedly assured that funding for MINLARS was not an issue. Our message has been clear. We know Minnesotans want a DMV system that works, but we are not going to give a blank check to the governor of Minnesota. We want accountability. We want assurances that we are not simply throwing more good money after bad. As Representative Baker pointed out, the governor has indicated that he accepts responsibility for how this has played out. In fact, I was able to meet him in his reception room the first day of session, and he indicated to me that he was taking responsibility. His administration missed the warning signs, and we went live with a system that simply was not ready. But it's not enough to simply say you cannot, that you accept responsibility. Those words need to be backed up with action. To that end, later this week, I'll be introducing legislation that will allow the governor to show Minnesotans that he is taking this seriously. My bill would give the governor authority to find and transfer funding from within his executive agencies to fund the first $10 million down payment on getting MinLARS working. By prioritizing existing executive branch funding, the governor can show Minnesotans that he indeed does accept responsibility and is taking action to limit the continued cost to taxpayers. Simply put, this has been a financial and technological catastrophe Minnesotans need a functional DMV system, but we can't simply keep throwing money at the problem and putting taxpayers on the hook for the missteps that have occurred along the way. Governor Dayton's response? I've said again and again, and I'll keep saying, I, you know, I feel terribly about what has happened with Millars, all the people, the deputy registrars and citizens who have been seriously uh, harmed in case deputy registrars financially and, and inconvenienced. And, 
buck stops here. Right? People could blame me. And, uh, you know, as I said to the legislative leaders today, you know, after they're done blaming me, the question is, what are we going to do to fix this? And the departments, uh, we have new leadership there making their uh, recommendations. We told them that on March 1st, if we don't have the, even this $10 million of interim funding, which is not a new appropriation, it's just shifting money from one account where the money is available to, uh, to Minlars, we're going to have to start giving notices to uh, vendors as well as to admitted staff. They're going to leave, and we're going to set the effort to re remediate this back even further. So, you know, either part of the problem or you're part of the solution at some point. The problem is that we are stymied right now, and it's going to go from bad to worse unless uh, we have the resources available. If they want to have a oversight, if they want to have some reasonable measure of control in addition to accountability, you know, certainly can talk about that. But, uh, you know, we're at the point now where we should be past the let's bash Minlars and make political points and you know, roll up our sleeves and solve the problem. So will the legislature give the governor the $10 million he's requesting, or will they make him get that money by trimming state agency budgets? That remains unclear, based on the closing seconds of this week's hearing chaired by Representative Torkelson. I'm uncomfortable with the current situation. Until the governor and the speaker reach an agreement as to how we're going to address this, I have no intention of moving anything forward. Uh, with that, members, we are past our time, and I will adjourn this meeting. Needless to say, Scott, the issue of Minlars is nowhere near adjourned at the Minnesota Legislature. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The debate continues on whether vaping is a safe alternative to smoking tobacco. One Minnesota mother says no and believes her son's life was at risk due to vaping. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. This story really hits home for me. A friend of mine who I'm going to call Megan for privacy reasons learned her son began vaping last year. Just a few months into it, she noticed a big shift in her son's attitude and overall health. Megan, bring us back to when you first learned your son started vaping. It was actually, he started last summer, and I didn't know it at first, but then, you know, gradually it was, he was 18 and he was old enough to do it, so he started just doing it around the house, and I told him I didn't want it done in the house. I didn't know anything about it at that point. Um, and then he had done a bunch of research on it. He never was a smoker, so he actually just started with the vaping. He wasn't doing it to try to quit cigarette smoking. Um, so I was like, I tried to do some research on it. I was like, well, it's definitely better than smoking from what I originally thought. And gradually, once he started, um, he got hooked on it pretty fast. He did it a lot. And over time, I started to notice that he was losing weight. And I just kind of, after a few months, I mean, it was a, a drastic amount of weight in a short period of time. So I talked to him about it, and he's like, oh, I, you know, I don't know. I guess I, it's supposed to speed up your metabolism, I guess. So he just thought that was part of the reason why. Well, by December, he had become very reclusive. His mood changed. He, at this point, had lost 78 pounds. And we had him in the doctor multiple times trying to figure out what was wrong. They were doing blood work. They were doing all kinds of different testing. They thought he had a parasite. It wasn't a parasite. They thought he had a tick-borne illness. They still aren't sure if that was part of it or not, but all in all, um, 
we ended up going to the ER. He had a lot of anxiety issues, like to the point where he didn't want to leave his room. He didn't want to hang out with his friends. He just was had become very much a recluse. So I was at this point, of course, terrified. We ended up in the ER one night um, because he had his heart was racing so bad. And the ER doctor almost had a heart attack when I told him that he'd lost 78 pounds in six months. And he wanted to make sure, you know, that we were following up with his regular doctors. And I told him that we were. And they did an ultrasound on his heart. His heart looked okay. Um, it, he just was to the point that I think he was so stressed out and worried that he thought he was dying. And that's basically what he told me. He goes, I, I've lost so much weight. I don't know, have any idea why. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything different. And comes to find out it basically boils down to they determined it was from vaping and it just took such a toll on his body and it kind of took over him he stopped eating as much he stopped eating really anything good for him you know he's just eating snacks here and there and it just sped up his metabolism so much and caused so much anxiety that he stopped vaping because he didn't know what else to do he goes i'm going to try this and see if it's you know see if it's related so he did. He stopped vaping in December, and he has since gained 26 pounds. He's back to his normal self. He's out with his friends. He's doing his normal daily stuff that he always used to do. So to me, it was like the biggest eye-opening in the world because I thought it was a safe thing to do compared to smoking. What? What? How did you guys come across that, that there was that connection with vaping? Was it a doctor, or did you two just have that discussion and decide we're going to quit this and see what happens? Well, when I, it was kind of a little bit of both, because I talked to the doctor about the vaping, and when we called the ER, I had said to them, I said, you know, he is a vapor, and I said, you know, I've heard that that's a safe alternative, and she actually laughed on the phone, and she said, that is not what we're finding out anymore, and she didn't go into it any more detail. That's all she said. And so then when we talked to him, when we were at these multiple doctor visits, and then that with the combination of him quitting, that's kind of, to me, what tied it all together. And then I have to ask, you know, did, did he have friends that vaped too? Or is, is this like a common thing among this age group? Absolutely. Pretty much all of them did it. They used to, like, sit around and do, they have vaping, like, they kind of like people blow cigarette smoke rings. They would do these vaping, different games, and pretty much everybody that he hung out with, I think, was doing it at the time. And in your wildest dreams as a mother, this must have been a roller coaster to see your son going through this and then finding out it's something that you both thought was relatively safe. It had to be kind of a, a big shocker. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, I was to the point where I was at my wit's end trying to figure out what to do because we didn't know what was wrong with him. And it was extremely terrifying. You don't know what's in those juices. You know, there's there's different things. I finally got to the point right before he quit, I was going to take the juice bottles and give them to a forensic person and see if they could tell me what's exactly in it. Because you don't know. I mean, if some of it's sold in stores, some people are making it homemade. I just have no idea what's in it. So it's, it's very frightening without knowing that kind of stuff. Before I let you go, I guess any advice to parents out there who knows that their kids might be vaping? Do you think this is a conversation that they should have about, you know, the dangers of this and not knowing, you know, what exactly they're dealing with? Yes. I actually have a friend right now whose son was doing it, and he has lost an extreme amount of weight as well. Um, He's had a lot of problems with acne, uh, shortness of breath, things like that. 
so I, she just said to me literally the other day she thinks he might have stopped because his demeanor has changed. It was almost like an attitude thing, too. It's something, I don't know what, how those could be tied together, but she said his acne's cleared up, his, he's gained a little bit of weight back, he's, his demeanor's changed. So you just, I don't know what's in those juices. That they, that's what they're called, I think. I don't know what people are using to make them, and that's what's scary. I would say more than anything, find out what is in that juice, where they're getting it from, and what it's possibly doing to their child, because it's very frightening. Thanks again to my friend Megan for sharing her story. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Dan Cole has graced the airwaves on Sports Talk Radio in Minnesota for more than two decades, and he's built a large and loyal audience with his humorous, personality-driven, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants show. The self-proclaimed radio dinosaur is out with a new book, Being the Common Man, which traces his roundabout rise to the top in a distinct voice that fans of his show will recognize instantly. I recently chatted with Cole about the book and his remarkable career. You've been in radio for a long time, and you make the point a couple times in the book that you you don't necessarily love radio, but you enjoy it, and you've done so many other things throughout your career. What's what's kept you in radio all these years? Uh, well, for me, it was always I, when I say I'm not in love with radio. So many people I worked with, especially early in my career, was oh, I love radio and I love everything about radio. I just like it because it didn't seem like work to me. It came kind of natural. I was at a gift for gab. It got me in trouble in school a lot. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office and in detention, but I liked thinking that, boy, I can just, I can read a news story or cover a news event and they pay me for it. Or I can play records and do the weather forecast and, 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 and write and produce radio commercials and, or do play-by-play of sporting events and they pay you for this. And in the small markets, they don't pay particularly well, but I enjoyed the work. So I, I guess I like radio, but it was really more just the idea, this is, this is fun and I'd never felt like I had a real job. And how did you strike upon what you've been so successful at now here at uh, KFAN, which is just being the common man? Where did you come up with that? I don't want to call it a formula, but obviously you found something that works for you. How did you find it? Well, what's interesting about that is the the, the common man name, actually, my, uh, my producer at the time, Bo Mitchell. I was on the air and I was talking about how Unlike some of the other staff members at the fan, I didn't have a column uh, like Dan Barrero did at the time. I wasn't uh, didn't have a play-by-play job. Chad Hartman was the Wolves play-by-play guy. I wasn't a sportscaster, which was Randy Shaver, the late Dave Huffman, a former athlete, uh, was was a member of the air staff. I wasn't a former athlete. I'm just a guy they pulled off the street just like you. And I went to break, and my producer Bo Mitchell came in and said, "You're just a common man, aren't you?" And I said, "You know, I am." So I went on the air after that and said, I'm just a common man. I didn't call myself the common man. I just said, I'm a common man just like you. Next thing I know, the listeners started calling me, hey, common man, hey, common man. And it stuck. The idea that I do a show that's a little bit different than the others, I don't do guests and I I, I, I sort of weave my own life into the, the show is I knew it had to be something different for me to stick. I didn't have, and I know sports as much as you know the next guy, but I don't have a real deep knowledge of it and I don't have that big of an interest in it so I knew if I'm going to continue to work here I've got to make my shows be somewhat different still has to include sports and it's just kind of stuck people kind of like the personality and what I do and uh, I'm grateful for it. One of the things you talk about on your show fairly frequently is how uh, little work you do ahead of time and prep work you do 
Is that legitimate? It's legitimate. I mean, for instance, today what I did was I, I, I call it my handheld computer that doubles as a communication device, our cell phone. My news service comes on there, and I just flip through, and I'll find news stories. And I, I'll take a look at the the, uh, the local sports pages, and I do that, and I, I'll read a story or two, and I'll just come up with that. I say, oh, I might want to talk about that today. And that's as far as it goes. I don't think too deeply about it, and, and I don't like to plan it out. I've tried radio like that before, and it doesn't work for me. i got to just kind of – I know it's against all the rules. We joke about it here, but I just kind of wing at it. But considering that you have a lot of listeners and ratings to be concerned about, does, does that, what kind of pressure does that put on you to make sure that you are entertaining? Or do you have you done it long enough now that you don't necessarily put pressure on yourself? Well, I don't anymore, I don't think, because the, – the, 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 the success in the rating, I know it's not like I'm blowing my own horn, but it's been, a, it's been a fairly successful show. The ratings have been pretty good. And I, I think I know what my listeners want. They expect that from me. And it's, it's nice where I'm placed in the rotation. Uh, the show that precedes me, Paul Allen, it's a pretty, that's, that's 100% sports, maybe 99%. The show that follows me, Dan Barrero does a lot of sports, but he does current events and a lot of other things. So it's a nice blend of, you know, after you get a lot of sports from PA, you get a different approach uh, from it from me. And I mean, I'm my own worst critic. I know when I walk out of that studio if I think it was a good show for what I think my audience wants or if it was not a good show. And Mark Rosen joins me uh, of Channel 4 uh, Sports fame, joins me four times a week for an hour during the 2 o'clock hour. So I'm, I'm really four days only responsible for two hours by myself with my, with my uh, a producer, uh, Brandon Molesky. But for that two hours, you got You do have to. You have to pick and choose, and you're going to hit and miss. But I think overall, it's it's generally a pretty satisfying product for people. And if you are your own worst critic, I'm curious, what is that percentage of after the show? I think that was successful versus unsuccessful in your mind. Well, you know, it it, it it's funny. It's it's you almost said I'll, I'll I'll use a, a sports comparison or analogy. It's like a, a, a hitter that gets into a slump. There are times I never come out of there thinking it was just awful. But there are times I go that just wasn't what I really wanted yeah. to. Sometimes I talk a little too much sports or a little too serious about it or you get tongue twisted and you don't, you're searching for the right words or phrases and it doesn't come out right. And I go, that wasn't very good. And sometimes that'll last a couple of days, week or two even. And then there's sometimes you get on a roll where you just, I just, I feel good about what I'm doing and how I'm saying it and the topics I found, you know, that, that I picked through and, and it's just, it's just a few, you just kind of know. I think is what it is. One of the things that you talk about on the show, and it's really the first chapter of the book you open talking about essentially putting drugs and alcohol behind you. And, you know, I know that sometimes you you use it on the air as sort of a joke through repetition. You talk about it. But how much a significant part of your story is that? Well... I'll say this. From the time I was 15 until my early 30s, I was what I call it. It was my hate Ashbury days. Like I refer to it in the book, the old summer of love, 69. And so it was, it was, it's my, it's, you know, it's um, not my literal hate Ashbury, my figurative hate mm-hmm. Ashbury days. And, and, you know, I, it was, it, I was young and wild and free as the old song goes. But, you know, after a while, I just said, I'm just tired of this. I just, I'm not getting anything out of it. It's, it's the same thing day in, day out. And it is interesting. Shortly after I put the cork in the bottle, it was when all of a sudden put a tape together with my broadcast partner, Carl Allen in Forest Lake, sent the tape over here to the fan and ended up getting a job and keeping my mind clear and having a more focus on my career and my life without, you know, trying to alter my mind was really a big help. Absolutely. it Because I, 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 was, I was able to focus on the things that were more important to me. In the book, you talk about being a boxing promoter. Mm-hmm. You've done some stand-up. Obviously, you wrote the book, so you're an author. Thank you're you. the official, unofficial ambassador of golf for Minnesota, uh, radio personality. 
what is next? I mean, do you have anywhere else to go from here? Well, you know what? I don't know if I do. It's funny you should say that the guy I I I I I, I dedicate a chapter to Jesse Ventura, the former governor, because I got to know him pretty well, and he was the one that made me the official, unofficial ambassador of Minnesota Gulf. I have the proclamation from him to prove it, but I always use him as an example of somebody, whether you like him or not, that led a very interesting life. He went from being a Navy SEAL to a, a wrestler, action movies, a mayor. Governor, talk show host, wrote a book, TV show, everything. He's led a he's led a very interesting life. So he's had a lot of different chapters. I basically the other uh, things you've mentioned that I've done have never been like full time work. So it's basically been some blue collar jobs in radio. I don't know if there's anything else that I'm really qualified to do to be to be honest. So I don't know. I just kind of keep doing the radio thing. I mean, I'm one of those guys where there's a lot of people that are kind of married to their work and would like to continue to work late in life. As much as I enjoy my job and what I do, I'm kind of, I'm 59 now. I'm kind of looking toward that. I'd like to retire by the time in my mid sixties and, you know, maybe travel a little bit, spend some more time with my wife. And I don't know what I want to do, but I think radio might be the end of it for me. I don't know. So are you at the end of the end? (laughs) I think I'm at the beginning of the middle of the end. Very good, Dan Cole. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you inviting me. Thanks. The book is called Being the Common Man, the Best of the Lousiest, the Lousiest of the Best, available online and in bookstores now. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. In less than a week, Minnesota Vikings players and staff will have a new address. The team is moving from their longtime home in Eden Prairie to a new 270,000 square foot headquarters in Egan. MN's J.W. Cox was at the facility this week as the job of packing up a football team enters the home stretch. Giant wooden boxes full of weight training equipment, huge rolls of bubble wrap, and pallets and pallets of cleats and apparel. Just some of what we saw this week, Scott, in the final days for the Vikings at Winter Park. Once we started working on the building and designing it, you start thinking through, like, okay, a move is going to be coming up. Um, and really over a year period where we really started planning it and working with finding the companies that can actually do this type of move and then selecting a group and then organizing and working with them on all the logistics and the details of it over the last six months. Vikings Vice President of Operations and Facilities Chad Lundeen has been the point man for the move that really kicked into gear earlier this month. Right after the Super Bowl we started pulling things out and putting them on pallets and shrink wrapping and, and getting you know, our hands dirty on the move instead of just the planning pieces. Uh, the, the most difficult thing has probably been uh, just that, pulling things out of the warehouse, getting them off the field, and the, the big equipment pieces, figuring out how to get that on a truck and get it over to Egan. Lundin's entire 20-year tenure with the Vikings has seen him punch in daily at Winter Park. The same is true for Chief Operating Officer Kevin Warren. With all that history in one place, Warren used one word to describe the process of the move. Demanding, because we are trying to do things the right way, and we told people just don't throw stuff away or don't just carry everything with you. Be very meticulous as far as how you move. And so that's been special to to see that being done in a proper manner. Officially called the Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, Warren says as a staff they're excited to get everyone under one roof. From a staff standpoint, I mean, we have our finance and legal across the street, and we have sales and marketing downtown. We're here, and so to be able to have everyone here is going to really make it special. It's going to make a collaborative environment. And I think one good thing is going to be have the, our cafeteria called the huddle. Uh, you know, when you put food out, people come together. So that's one 
facet that I think people will really be excited about. Warren added, this move marks a significant moment in Vikings history. I mean, it's progress. I think anytime you have a chance to move to something special and new, it's progress. And um, it's going to be double the size. I mean, it has every element uh, to build a, a successful environment for people to be able to work and come together. And so I think to, to have the Wolves lean into this project and put their own personal money into it is special. From a free agent recruiting standpoint to help, I mean, you look at Dalvin Cook there, you know, from a rehab standpoint, it has all the attributes where people can really work and, and we can be great. And we're going to work hard as we can to put a Lombardi trophy in the lobby. With the team headquartered at Winter Park since 1981, Warren joked his car may still take him to Vikings Drive after the move. For Lundeen, despite the work that went into the move, the nostalgia will be thick when he leaves for the last time. Well, after 20 seasons, you really start to, uh, you know, being here every day, other than the days that we're in Mankato, um, you've got some memories and you've put together you know, a career here so far. And it'll be tough to walk out of here that last day and think, you know, look back and like, this is my last time at Winter Park. It'll be tough. For Warren, there will be nostalgia, but it will be outweighed by the excitement of fans headed to the new epicenter of Vikings country. Now they can come and spend time with us with training camp, and I say that sincerely. And we're going to be fan-friendly, and we're going to embrace our fans and continually figure out ways to thank them for all of their support and uh, it'll be special. The first day for Vikings players and staff in the new facility will be Monday, March 5th. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.